Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, and I'm thrilled that you are with us today. We're going to have an exciting conversation about some tips for um, those dealing with memory loss and, and various forms of dementia today. But before I get into introducing our guest, we always have new listeners, and they're always wondering who the heck's Alzheimer's Speaks and what do they do and why do they do it? So I like to just take a couple of minutes in the beginning to um, let people know um, who we are and what we do. Bottom line, I started this company because my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years. And so Alzheimer Speaks is really an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. Um, I got tired of dealing in what I felt was a broken system, and I wanted to have honest, authentic conversations to learn where resources were. And so that's really the core of who we are and what we do. Um, We believe that joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having everyday conversations like we do here on the radio with our blog, with our videos and so forth is really the only way that we're going to remove stigmas um, that are attached to memory loss and help people that are diagnosed and those that are caring for them continue to live purpose-filled lives and to help them build on their relationships and letting, instead of letting it crumble them. At our core, um, Alzheimer Speaks that uh, believes that collaboration is really the only way we're going to win this battle. And I know that that's working thanks to each and every one of you. You see your likes, your clicks, your shares got us named the number one influencer online, according to Sharecare and Dr. Oz, and also got us um, recognized by Maria Shriver this last fall as an architect of change for humanity, which were huge honors. Um, So we hope that you'll continue to see our content as valuable and continue to, you know, um, click away and share it with your spheres of influence. If you have Facebook or Twitter or Pinterest or LinkedIn, it doesn't make any difference. Just push the information out there because there are so many people in our own spheres that are dealing with this that we don't even know. And people won't reach out unless they feel comfortable. And typically we all feel more comfortable when we see something as being more common than not. Um, so thank you for your for your time and energy and work um, to help us shift dementia care. I also want to let you know as a listener, uh, you could be our next guest. Uh, we interview people all over the world, uh, from those diagnosed to family and friends caring for a loved one or who have a story that they would like to share, to businesses and professionals. Um, We've had movie directors and authors and singers and songwriters and researchers on um, and advocates. So there is no limit. If you have a story to tell, I'd love to hear it and talk with you about that. Um, So let me go ahead and introduce our guest today. Again, we're going to be talking about some quick tips for Alzheimer's and dementia care. 
And we are really lucky to have Celia uh, Cadell with us, who is um, who is just doing some fabulous work. Her her mother, her grandmother, and her aunt all died from Alzheimer's disease. Um, she has worked at the Alzheimer's Association in Central and Western Can- uh, Kansas for nine years as a helpline specialist. So I'm sure she's heard most of everything that could be asked out there. She is also the author of The Little Book for Alzheimer's Caregivers, which she wrote to help other families um, who are dealing with this based on on her, her lived experiences. So welcome today. How are you doing? Oh, thank you so much, Lori. I'm just thrilled to have an opportunity to share with your audience. And, and you know, this is this is a scary road and some days are wonderful and some days are not. Yep, isn't that the truth? But, you know, in life in general, that's really how <laughs> it is for everybody. We just always seem to look at it in a different light when when there's a chronic illness to be, uh, to be had. Um, I want to ask you a little bit, if you wouldn't mind sharing, you know, I had mentioned that, you, you know, this is in your family, your mother, your grandmother, and your aunt all died from this disease. Can you talk about time frame for you and, and how that all looked like? Well, it, it kind of started, my dad died from cancer at 75. And, and kind of when he was maybe about 73 and my mom was maybe about 72, my dad began calling and saying, your mom doesn't want to cook anymore. And she's just agitated all the time. And of course, you know, my mom lived far from me, and I didn't see her very often. And, you know, she was fine on the phone. You know, you couldn't tell there was a problem. Um, um, and I didn't know, back to what you're sharing here, I didn't know that agitation was one of the symptoms because by the time my grandmother began living close to me, uh, she was past the stage of being agitated, and she was very docile. So I didn't see that side of my grandmother. And so, um, and, and of course, once I got involved in the Alzheimer's Association, uh, my dad died at 75, and then my mom came and lived close to me. So I saw her every day for dinner and noticed she was searching more for words, and she had a mini stroke, and lots of things kind of contributed to that. And, and like many caregivers out there, I kept thinking, oh, she's just having a bad day, or she's just thinking about my dad, or, or you know, maybe her blood pressure is high today. And, and I had lots of reasons to, um, uh, lots of excuses why that's not what it was, because I didn't want that to be. Mm-hmm. And so what happened with me is my mom had what they call peripheral neuropathy, and, and, you know, the vitamin B in our system is the vitamin that helps nourish our nerves. And so um, she got anemic because nobody was checking her vitamin B levels, and that's how she got neuropathy. And so we took her to Mayo's to find out if she would be paralyzed from the waist down. And they said, no, I think she'll still be able to walk. Uh, and we said, would you test her for Alzheimer's? And I said, oh, yeah, but she's probably going to have Alzheimer's. So that's how we got a diagnosis. Oh, wow. It's amazing how you have to ask. <laughs> you know, yes. Um, when, uh, when you're bringing absolutely. them in. And, and, you know, denial is so comforting. You know, we, even though it was in my family and we knew, and I used to talk to lots of caregivers about that, you know, as long as I can pretend like she doesn't have this disease, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to financially, emotionally, physically, you know, help her because in my mind, she's not that bad. 
Yeah. I did the same with my folks when I was younger. I always looked at old as being 10 years older than them because then it was always safe. And then my dad had the nerve to go have, you know, get brain cancer. And my mom got dementia and it was like, well, pop my bubble, you know. Yeah. This <laughs> and, is not my plan. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's funny how we do that to protect ourselves. Um, from the situation, like that's going to make it stop. But it's very, very common. And I would imagine that you heard a lot of that on the helpline. Yes. Oh, oh, yes. People would say, well, and even in my own family, you know, when my dad passed and my mom lived closer, my sister and I saw more of her. And, you know, my sister would say, well, how was mom today? And I'd say, well, gosh, you know, she couldn't remember my name and she was having a hard time walking and seemed kind of couldn't remember I, I was there. Some days when she lived close to me, she would call me because these were old cell phones, the old bag phones. Mm-hmm. She would on the bag phone and she'd say where where are you i haven't seen you all day and i literally had left her room and hadn't gotten in my car yet Mm, yep so you know but as you say it's so comforting and yet my brother would call like once a month well she could fake it once a month for a phone call Mm -hmm. yeah appropriate things how are you i'm fine yep and and we and we hear what we want to hear yes oh yes Yes, of course. And and I finally um I finally put her in a facility because at at this stage in my life my mother was getting pretty confused and kind of going through the depression that lots of times goes with Alzheimer's. And my mother-in-law whose name was Dorothy also, they were both Dorothys, got sick also. And I couldn't take care of both of them. And so my mother went and lived close to my sister for a while because you know, my mother didn't understand when I said you know, I've gone to take care of Randy's mom, my husband's mom. She didn't remember I had anybody else. Mm-hmm. So it's it's real common. And I heard in, in one of your things, Laura, you just, uh, the one I listened to recently, uh, this lady was talking about her dad being ill and being in a restaurant with him. And one of my favorite stories is is that I took my mom for my birthday with my sister and, and, and grandchildren. And we are all sitting in this restaurant. It was kind of noisy. Because we talk about how, you know, sometimes the background noise is, is disturbing for them. And so we were sitting in this restaurant, and my mom starts yelling. And I said, so what's the matter, Mom? And she said, why did you bring me here? And I said, well, because we're celebrating my birthday. And I said, and she looked at me, and she said, well, I don't know who any of you are. So it was a very sudden thing. There was no warning. You know, we didn't know she didn't know who we were. Mm-hmm. We, we were all her children and grandchildren, and we were sitting next to her and talking, and it was like, oh, my gosh. So then we had to go around the table and introduce ourselves and how we knew her. Yeah. It was very sad. Very sad. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one for for most families. And and um, you know, I know something when I go out and speak and train. That that's probably one of the most common questions I get is you know why doesn't why doesn't she know me or how how are you dealing with that or is it okay to not visit anymore or should I still? I mean they're looking kind of for permission and guidance of what of what to do. Um, what would you tell people if if you you know if they're asking you know is it is it worth me still being in their life if they don't know my name what advice do you give people well yes i would say um i i guess i have two versions to that the first one goes that you know they have proven that people that are in a coma 
still know you're there, even though they can't talk to you. You know, they may be just laying still, and maybe you can hold their hand, but they have proven that when they come to, that they heard you. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as much as if that's so, people with dementia, even though they can't remember uh, they can't remember your name, and they're maybe are not sure who they are, who you are. In their heart, they know. You know, there's a famous story about a little man that goes to visit his his wife in a nursing home. You know, and he goes every day, and 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 somebody says to him, "Well, why do you go? She doesn't know you." And he says to her, "Well, but I know her." So, so I think sometimes I I think. I think deep down in their heart, the Alzheimer's people know that there's somebody you've come to visit them and you love them and you care for them, or you wouldn't be there. They mm-hmm. know that in their heart. And the other thing I think is sometimes you have to do what's right for your conscience and how you feel about it. It's kind of like I used to have people call and say, "Well, I'm doing all the work for mom, and you know my brothers and sisters aren't helping, and they never come to visit, and they don't send them money." And I say, "Well." But you have to do what's best for your conscience. You have to do what's best for your conscience because when the end of the end of the um, uh, road comes and you have to say goodbye to your loved one in the grave, you have to know that you did what was best for your loved one as long as they were alive. You have to come to terms with your conscience. So I usually tell them. That, that, you know, if you can take that, then you need to go. And, and, you know, sometimes they have wonderful days. And if you don't go, you miss that. Mm-hmm. I, my, my, my best story is my mom had her birthday, and, and I had a dear friend who made a cake for her, and it had cream cheese and Cool Whip in it. And you could tell my mom didn't know what the white stuff was. She had this blank look on her face, and my friend took her finger and put her finger in this, you know, cream cheese, cool whip, you know, sugary stuff, and put it in her mouth. And my mom just grinned from ear to ear, just like a little kid. It was priceless. <laughs> just priceless. There were no words that we could explain to her what those things were because she didn't know anymore. But once we put it on her tongue, she just grinned. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, those are those are the memories. Those are why you go. Mm-hmm. Yep, I, yeah, I agree. And I, I use that same phrase that, you know, we understand that people with a coma, you know, can still take everything in. So can a person with dementia. And it's surprising, yeah. um, even when we think, you know, they're not going to be able to communicate, you know, you get those little nuggets, those little tidbits every now and then. I remember a time when my mom said my name and she hadn't said it in three years. And I oh, just... That's- Yeah. Yeah. And I just bawled like a baby for like two hours because I forgot how much that meant to me, you know, and I remember kind of having a conversation with God about I was like, you know, feeling, oh, what was me and, and, you know, just heard this is a gift. You need to share this with others. This is a gift. You were given a gift today, Lori, you know. And- Absolutely. And, and, and along that line would be, I, I'm big about sharing my books with anybody that, that comes in my life that I think needs one. And today I, I, my husband had a doctor appointment and, and we rented a three different people whose mother or father had Alzheimer's within an hour's time. Oh, I can believe that. <laughs> it's so prevalent. It mm-hmm. is so prevalent. Yeah. 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 Everywhere. And yet we, you know, everybody still has that denial man- mentality that it isn't. And I mean, there's just absolutely no denying 
um, the impact that it's having on our, not just our country, but our world as a whole. And um, yes, yeah. well, and, and you're absolutely right. And I, I listened to your thing about from the caregivers or from the Alzheimer's, the young onset people mm-hmm. on your website. And they were talking about, about the different things that, uh, how the caregivers feel, you know, the, the young onset people feel toward the caregivers. And one of the gentlemen said, but sometimes I'm angry at my caregivers and and like you were just saying, I think sometimes sometimes I want to take caregivers and then just wrap, wrap them in a hug or a warm blanket because they don't know. Mm-hmm. They don't know, Lori. They don't know how this journey is going to be, and everybody's different. And just like you say, it's, it's prevalent everywhere, and, and they don't want to know. And then once they need to know, there's so much to know, and every day is different. It's, it's so hard for them. Mm-hmm. Well, and it makes it, I think, so much easier when people can actually talk and have an authentic conversation and not worry um, about how it's going to be received, knowing that you know yeah. they've got a, a safe environment. Um, that's just huge to people. And, and, you know, they'll usually tell us over and over, you don't need to fix me. It'd be nice if there was a cure and all of that, but... You know, just validate me. Just listen to me. Just let me know I'm not alone, and yeah. th- that you that you will support me as a friend. But you don't have to take on the responsibility that if you can't fix me, then you want to walk away because it's too hard for you. That that's absolutely right. Lots of times they just want to talk. I used to have a a little lady that would call in at a helpline, and and she just wanted to talk. She didn't really want anything from me, but she she just needed to vent, and that's okay. So we talked about you know well how do you, how does that feel, and what have you tried, and and what's is it you know is there anything that's made it better? You know she didn't want me to send her any information. She just wanted to vent, and and I think that goes for the Alzheimer's people, and it goes for the caregivers. Sometimes they just need to talk. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's such a simple thing to do, um, but we're so uncomfortable with it. It's kind of amazing um, how difficult that is for people. It, it's... Yes, I, I have a a good friend who's she's she had uh, several surgeries, and so and her mother had Alzheimer's, like yours. And and she's kind of going through the stage where she doesn't know her husband's the caregiver, and she doesn't know who he is, and she keeps saying, "So, so where's my husband? And where's my husband?" And he keeps saying, "I'm right here." And and um, uh, you know, same thing. She wants to vent about her hallucinations, or she wants to vent about you know she's seeing little people on the floor, and she just wants somebody to listen. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah. some days it's all gibberish, and it doesn't make any sense, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's a huge thing to and and you know he feels bad because if he takes her out and in public and and you know that happens also sometimes you worry about if you go in public i i have known caregivers say about well gosh my 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 loved one got so agitated at the restaurant because she thought the waitress wasn't bringing her tea well you know the waitress had filled up her glass like five times but of course she didn't remember that Mm -hmm. and she was in the agitation stage and she was afraid she was going to make a scene in the restaurant but you know life happens it's okay Mm -hmm. yep You'll you'll move through it, <laughs> yeah, very much so. Can you tell us, you know, with your book again? It's called the Little Book for Alzheimer's Caregivers. What can people expect um, if they purchase that book? What can they expect to find? 
Well, well, hopefully two things. Um, there, there's lots of Alzheimer's books out there. I, I started when my mom got sick with a 36-hour day, and and I read the first chapter, and I began bawling and decided my mom's not going to do that. And not to mention, I didn't have time to read it all. I was busy caregiving. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's short because people need an answer now. You know, like, like tonight, all of a sudden, my mom doesn't want to bathe. So what can I do to get her in the bathtub? You know, it's been four days and yada, yada, yada. And so, um, um, you know, you need some ideas now. And so there's specific tips on most of the subjects that Alzheimer's has, like bathing, wandering, um, uh, how to get a diagnosis, what to do before you go to the doctor, uh, wandering, hallucinations, sundowning. So, so I tell some tips in each chapter about those specific things that are most common. And then at the end I say, you know, uh, my thoughts and, and, and throughout these, explanations of some of the symptoms of Alzheimer's. I tell my story. My story is in there. People that know me and read my book say, well, it sounds just like you, but, but that only helps my friends because they know me. Uh, <laughs> but it has, it has lots of tips and stories and kind of guidelines. And, and I had somebody just ask me yesterday. So, so in her case, her mother, her grandmother, her uncle, and her aunt all had Alzheimer's. And she says, every time I forget something, my husband and my children say, oh, no, you've got Alzheimer's. Oh, no, you've got Alzheimer's. And she's, she doesn't like them saying that to her. And so, so this has ideas about, you know, what can we do, you know, one day at a time. You know, don't worry about every little thing you forget. Alzheimer's isn't just memory loss. It's lots of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of things to watch for? You know, I had somebody come and say, so my husband keeps going to the garage looking for things, and he doesn't come back in with them. Well, so it has ideas about, so where do I begin? What do I do if I'm suspecting that there's something not quite right? Well, I usually tell families to, to keep a journal first because, you know, it's not one thing. It's, it's several things. And once you go to the doctor, you may be upset enough that you don't remember all the little things you saw in the last month. Mm-hmm. So write them down. It, it helps us all. We all make notes. So write them down. So together you can talk about these are the things I'm worried about and these are the things I'm concerned about. And then, then you know, live your life. You know, I used to have people come and say to me, I used to have them say, so this, Alzheimer's is such an awful disease. And I'd say to them, well, so do you know some good diseases? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good comeback. There yeah. aren't any, and, and Laura, you and I both know because we both had a, a parent that died from cancer. That wasn't so pretty either. Yep, yep. <laughs> it, it, it's hard. This is an, Alzheimer's is an entirely a different thing. It's, it's not like anything else, and, and, and lots of times caregivers will say, well, I got my mom to do such and such, and then I tried that today, and it didn't work. And, and that's because it's a brain disease. Yeah. So, so we talk about how each day is different. We talk about trying different things. We talk about uh, the book talks a little bit about you know siblings involved. And and I went to a workshop one time that talked you know talked about families. And sometimes families have what we call pigeons. You know they live far away and they fly into where the full time caregiver lives and then they tell them all the things they've done wrong, and they and then they and then they fly away. Because, you know, they don't, they aren't going to help. They don't send money. They don't, you know, they don't stay and help do services. They just fly in and say, oh, the caregiver should do this and this and this, and then they leave. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, spending a few hours with someone that Alzheimer's is not like spending 24 hours with someone with Alzheimer's. And and lots of times we know that in the early stages is a lot different than than the later stages. Mm-hmm. I talk about some of the different stages and and how it's different for everyone and how to deal with family things. I talk about, you know, what about the end, uh, what sort of things, what's that like, what kind of things you need to look for, the things that I was afraid of as as a caregiver, um, uh, about placing them in a nursing home, how do you make that decision. Uh, I know you had a gentleman that talked about taking his mother in. Um, um, you know, it's different for everybody. Some people have little children at home and and then they're they're scared of granny because granny says inappropriate things or does inappropriate things and then I had another friend that told me about you know their granny came to live with them with alzheimer's and and uh she was just a crazy old lady, and so they spent more time with the crazy old lady that was grandma than the grandma that sat and read them stories and they had wonderful memories of so their kids you know it altered their children's lives and their children's views and so People lots of times don't don't think about that. It's not just you, the child that's bringing mom in. It affects your whole family if you have a family living with you. Mm-hmm. So it has tips about you know think about the different the different options. What's it like to bring them to live with you? How do you pick an assisted living? What's the difference between an assisted and a nursing home? I I did a presentation one time for cops and we talked about the behavior of of people with a form of dementia or Alzheimer's and and um, one of the cops said to me, well, if they can get that mad and angry, why don't you just lock them away in a nursing home? And I said to them, well, do you have any idea how much a nursing home costs? And they were just appalled. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, that's a whole other version of our society, teaching cops and, and uh, uh, firefighters, you know, what happens if they approach somebody? What do they say to them? How do they help them? Yep. So those are some of the things that are in my book. I tried to make it user-friendly. I tried to make it large print because I'm older and don't like little print. Uh (laughs) I I tried to make it handy and user-friendly. I tried to put my life stories into it as well as, as things that they could use right away. Yeah, that's, um, I I think um, that's so important. And that's one of the things I liked about your book is, it's not huge. Um, it is big print. It's laid out really simply. Like one of the things, I mean, when you're looking for a topic, I, I just open it up and it says exhaustion, you know, and, and everybody gets there, the person with dementia and the person caring for somebody with dementia, um, you know, and it, how you can help with something like that. And, and you've got communication techniques and um, telling people to, you know, be vigilant and, and know your own reactions um, as well as theirs. I mean, it just, it's, it's a very, it's a very easy book to be able to pick up and put down because sometimes people don't have a ton of time, um, but it's a, but it's really easy to find where you left off um, the way you've designed the book. So I, I find that extremely helpful because uh, that's what, Thank you, Lori. I tried to make it. I tried to make it 
more user friendly and and you know i found even for nurses and for people that are working in assisted livings and hospitals you know i i did a presentation for like 200 nurses one time um just just because you know there are dementia people on every floor of the hospital mm-hmm. you know they break their legs they have cancer they have they have issues and and you know what we found when I worked at the Alzheimer's Association was we would have doctors come in and and do some training with us just as far as to find out what sort of resources were out there and to gain information. And, and you know, if, if I have to pick between the doctors stop, stopping me from bleeding to death and starting my heart, I want them to know that first. But but secondly, I want them to know something about how to talk to an Alzheimer's person. You know, I, I would have doctors that would say to my mom, well, Mrs. Wilson, how are you today? Well, of course, Mrs. Wilson was fine. My mom was always fine because she didn't remember calling <laughs> 10 times a day to say, I need to go to the doctor. She mm-hmm. didn't remember that. Yeah. So, well, I have those kinds of doctor visits, yeah. Well, and it's kind of like when you bring your car in, it gets better. You know, I, I think for most people, you can be sick and you go to the doctor and they ask and you want to be fine, so you tell them that you're okay or you downplay the symptoms. But, you know, when it's a person with dementia, one of the things that I found really frustrating with uh, doctor's appointments was they would ask my mom, well, my mom doesn't know. You know, yes. so you really, you need to understand the disease to know who to, and, and not to exclude her, but you need more information than just that as a source, um, because she, she can easily not remember or, or not um, give an accurate picture of what's that, actually going on. That's a, that's a perfect description. And, and, and one more, one more step farther than that. My, when my mom was sick and she, you know, she went to the doctor and then they wanted to put her in to do something. I can't even remember what it was for, but they cooked, they hooked her up to IVs in the hospital. But, but same answer. The nurses didn't know uh, uh, anything. They'd say, well, how are you today? And my mom would say, fine. And they hooked her up to IVs, and she got so upset. She was hallucinating. She pulled all the IVs out, and then we had blood and a mess everywhere because she didn't know what that was. Yep, yep. And then the nurses didn't realize that if they would just cover her arm so she didn't see it, mm-hmm. you know, that been better for her and then we talked about different things you know with the nurses you know they could use a little lavender oil or they could they could um um you know do different things uh give her something else to do they would come in her room and they'd say well here's the bathroom and here's the closet and here's this and by the time they left she didn't know where the bathroom was no no it's like sitting at the restaurant and they give you 45 types of salad dressing and say which one do you want ah uh, I don't even think I want a salad anymore. You know, is that what I ordered? I mean, it's just, it's overwhelming. Um, it is. It is. And and my mom was just overwhelmed. Same thing. They would bring her this plate of food, and the instant it came, I would always split with her. But the instant it came, I had to split half of it onto my plate because, you know, she was just overwhelmed by food and things. And you're right, all those questions. Yep. My, my, mom, yes. my mom would say, I didn't order that. So I started... <laughs> Because she would forget what she ordered, and then she'd be looking around the table at everybody else's food, envious of what they got. And so finally I got to the point um, with my own mom, I would ask her, I said, I would tell her, you know, mom, I can't decide. Would you mind, you know, if we get two different things and just split it? And so then we had this variety 
that we could both choose. And it was like, oh my gosh, that was a lifesaver. Because we had to stop with the, we couldn't go to the buffets because she'd have five plates going and, you know, put one down and pick up another one. And, and, you know, she wanted to be able to read the menu, but she couldn't. And she wanted to be able to understand the waitress um, or waiter that came to the table. It was too many choices. And so that just alleviated so much um, of her angst in terms of going out when I initiated, it's like, cause then she's helping me out. Yes. And that's a great idea. And that, that goes right back to the communication because my, my friend that has his wife at home and I take him lunch and we, we talk and his wife keeps saying, I want to go home. I want to go home. And, and I used to tell my caregivers, I'd say, well, but if you tell her she is home, she, you know, she's not stupid yep. in her mind. She needs to go to either a childhood home or she needs to go, you know, it's a happy place. She wants to go where she's healthy and life is good and her kids are home and everybody's playing. And, you know, if you tell her she's home, she knows she's not in that spot. Yep. Doesn't look right. Exactly. So you have to communicate with where they are. You have to go where they are. Very much so. Can you tell us, what do you think are the, the hardest parts of, you know, being um, an Alzheimer's or dementia care partner? Well, I I think, you know, we talked about that a little bit. I think the exhaustion comes because I really feel like you're on call 24-7. We we used to have, my mom, we thought she needed to have a phone in her facility, and so we gave her a phone, and we gave her three little buttons for three kids so she could just pick up the phone and punch a button. Mm -hmm. So in the morning, she'd call about 7 o'clock and maybe catch us still home, and then she'd call each of us like at least 10 times during the day Mm -hmm. because, of course, she forgot we all went to work. Yep. By the end of the day, we had all these messages, and she was really mad by the time we got home because why hadn't we returned her call? Mm-hmm. You know, she's still willing enough to know that. So, so explaining to her, well, mom, I'm sorry, I love you. You know, we'll I'll be I'll be up to see you in a few minutes. You know, those kind of things. Because I felt bad as a caregiver that this was my mom. I wanted to be happy. I, I, I didn't think I was doing all the right things. I didn't know enough. I wanted her to be happy. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't be there 24-7. So I think there's a lot of guilt that goes with being a caregiver. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you only have so much time. And, and it's all kind of a hit and miss from, from picking a facility to medications I mean, you know, I learned lots about medication. They kept using words I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what all those drugs were, you know, to to what's going to make her feel better. I didn't realize, you know, there's a study about pain. There's a study that they took. Um, um, oh, yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a study about um, uh, Alzheimer's people, and they put Alzheimer's people that were going to have hip surgery, and then normal people that were going to have hip surgery, and and the study was to see who got more pain medication. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that didn't have Alzheimer's got the most pain medication because they could ask for it. Mm-hmm. They, they could interpret pain. They knew what it was. They knew how to, how to ask for it. So, so, and I worked at, you know, after mom was died, I, after my mom died, I, I worked at the Alzheimer's Association for a few more years because I. Until after she died. Yeah. No, she was still alive. Um, uh, anyway, so um, um, I think people don't know that Alzheimer's people can be in pain, and lots of them are. 
you know, this is a neurological disease, and we have the most nerve endings in our skin. And so sometimes when they just hit the edge of their bed or, or you know, because they bruise or any of those things, it may be pretty painful. Mm-hmm. And they can't because they can't process that. So, so I think those things I wanted as a caregiver, I wanted to make it better, and I didn't feel adequate. I didn't think I knew enough. I, I wanted to make it better. That's good. That's good. Um, do you go out and speak to a lot of groups, or um, what is your role now? Are you are you still with um, the association? No, no, I'm not. But I do, I do go out and speak to lots of groups. I, I am retired from the Alzheimer's Association, but but I do. I'm I'm going out in a few weeks to go to a, a place that has a, a facility and it has dementia units and it has uh, nursing homes and it has assisted living. And so they they asked me to come and speak, and I I speak about my book and I speak about Alzheimer's disease, and people love to come up and ask me questions, and I'm just more than happy to help. Sometimes I go to churches. Sometimes I go to support groups and churches, just any place that I can help, that I can help because there's such need. Um, I even, I have a daughter-in-law that's a physical therapist and she got me in contact with our uh, Wichita State University here. And once a year I go and I speak to the physical therapy class there because, you know, most dementia people end up needing some physical therapy and that's not something they teach. Yeah. Yeah. So I try to do that also, and I love being involved and and you know young people the things that they don't know that can happen, mm-hmm. which is many things with an Alzheimer's, and try to teach them. Uh, uh, another thing that goes with this is we talk a little bit about um, in in their waiting rooms, you know, in in a doctor's waiting room. Well, we have my mother used to get so anxious in a doctor's waiting room because you know she didn't want to look. Her attention span was pretty short. She won't look at magazines very long. There wasn't, she didn't understand the TV. You know, we got so her TV channel had to be the weather channel and the history channel because, you know, she would get upset about anything else she saw. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, she, um, um, the yeah, they, she thought they were, <laughs> she was so excited about the history channel, she thought they were building the Hoover Dam one day. She said, oh, they're going to have this wonderful new dam and it's going to be terrific. And she was so <laughs> excited because, <laughs> of course, she didn't know that was history channel. <laughs> Yeah. But but I used to talk with uh, doctors' offices and things about having you know you're very good about posting resources and and uh, some of the things I used to tell my caregivers was about um, um, the Alzheimer's um, Reminisce magazine mm-hmm. that it's magazine to look at with their loved one because my mother may not remember what she did yesterday but she remembers that old-fashioned stove she used to cook on and she remembers wearing an apron every day and she remembers the car that they had when she got married so so those old pictures would bring back memories of the old days so I used to always tell my caregivers that I thought that was a good resource because that gave families something to do you know you were talking about going and seeing their loved one and and you know what a what a grandchildren and great grandchildren do when they visit well they can take the reminisce magazine and it's pictures of the old days and you know they may not have said a word but if they see a picture of the very first car they had they may be able to tell you about it yep very true very very true um i'm wondering uh you know 
in some of my notes here, I've, I've got something that says that there's over 50 different types of dementia with their own issues. And I'm just curious if you can talk a little bit about that, because I've heard everywhere from actually from like 72 to over 200 different types. And I don't know if anybody really, really knows how many types there are because our researchers don't talk as well. And there's multiple, um, there's some people have multiple diagnoses of dementia. Um, so yes, let's right. talk about that a little bit and what your thoughts are on all the different types and which ones you feel are the most common. You're, you're absolutely right, uh, because I, I had a dear gentleman that came in to visit me one time, and he said, he came and spent an hour with me, and he says, he says um, uh, my wife has Alzheimer's. What can you tell me about it? And so we talked about the symptoms and the things he might notice, and he left. And so he called back a couple of days later, and he says, oh, I won't need that information. She, she doesn't have Alzheimer's. She has dementia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there was this long, long pause. And so then about a week later, he called me back, and he said, Oh, so I guess we need to talk some more about dementia and Alzheimer's. And I said, maybe. <laughs> so, so as you say, there's, it's common. I remember um, I had someone come in that had Pick's disease. People don't talk much about that, and I haven't noticed much on your websites about that. That one's not quite as common, but, but when I first heard that word, I thought the very first person I knew that had Pick's disease, a client, uh, they were literally picking at their skin until it was raw. Mm-hmm. And so they called for some suggestions. What can we do? You know, we can't get them to leave it alone. We've tried different kinds of drugs and et cetera. So I thought those had some relation, but not necessarily, not necessarily. But um, they were also a young onset person. Uh, so they had it under the age of 65. So so over the years, I've, I've known some people with Louie body. I've known some, as you say, sometimes they have Louie body and they have another type. Uh, but people sometimes will come to me and say, well, my loved one never did that. She was always very ha- happy and docile. Well, that doesn't mean she didn't have Alzheimer's. It just means it was different for her. Mm-hmm. Or I hear about people that are, can be very agitated and angry and, you know, get into the guns and get into all sorts of things. And, and just because they're very agitated doesn't mean they don't have, as you say, Alzheimer's and maybe Lewy body. Or, or a combination of things, I heard, um, I got this number from, I heard a neurologist come where I live. We don't have any neurologists that just specialize in Alzheimer's or mm-hmm. just Alzheimer's and dementia. And I had, a, I had a person that came from Kansas City, and she gave a lecture one time. That's where I got the number 50. And she said, well, that they had a few in Kansas City, but lots of times neurologists don't want to see just dementia and Alzheimer's people. They want to see other things because let's face it, it's pretty depressing. They can't cure it. They don't know what we can do. There's lots of research out there, but it's still going on. And I used to have, um, um, uh, I used to have people with the. Oh, I also had somebody talk to me about, she was a specialist in Parkinson's Mm -hmm. and she talked about the dementia that Parkinson's people have is lots of times better than an Alzheimer's dementia because the Parkinson's dementia, lots of times those people still knew who you were, whereas Alzheimer's people lots of times don't. Mm-hmm. In my family, my grandmother didn't know anybody and my aunt didn't, but my mother started out with multi-infarct dementia and then she eventually got Alzheimer's. 
So she knew me until just before she died. So, you know, and they were all related in the same bloodline. So it can be really different for different people. And as you say, the symptoms can be different. And and, and research, you, you mentioned researchers. I, I always encourage family members and caregivers when they're looking into this to do some more looking about the research because oftentimes they hear an article or they see something on Facebook and they don't, they don't read enough to find out, well, so how many people did they study? Probably 17 isn't enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I had one years ago, they did a study where they were uh, trying a new uh, vaccine and they studied six. And one of those ladies got better for a year and then she regressed to before. So same thing. If you're reading research, you need to read the whole article. You need to see how many people they studied, what period of time they studied, because, you know, it's a developing field and there's lots of factors. And and my favorite is when people call me and say, oh, they have a pill for dementia. They tried it on these mice and they got so much better. <laughs> so there's lots of really smart mice out there, Lori. Yep. Yep. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> really smart mice. Now, I need to tell you, because we have talked about a cruise, and then you can ask me some more questions. I just want to tell you my story about cruising and my mother. So over the millennium, we asked my mom, because she was still kind of with it then, um, so what would you like to do for this 2000, you know, this millennium? Well, she wanted to go on a cruise, because my mother had been on lots of cruises, and she loved to cruise. Okay, Mom. So every day for a year, Lori, we talked to my mom when we visited her about this cruise. Remember, it's only so many days, and you know, some of the grandkids are going to go, and we're going to go on this cruise, and you'll love it, and it's a big ship, and, you know, on and on. Every day we talked about it, Lori. So mm-hmm. the day we actually got on a plane and got to the cruise ship and we took her to her cabin, her first words were, oh, I didn't know we were doing a cruise, but it's okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so, so even though we talked about it every single day, it's such a short-term memory thing. It was by then that she couldn't even remember that we talked about it at all. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so, so, you know, now my mom was pretty confused by then, and somebody always had to stay with her, and she couldn't find her cabin and those kind of things. But, but a wonderful, remember that sometimes it's not as much about the person that's confused as it is those people around them. You know, when my grand, when my when my kids went to go spend time with with their nana, mm-hmm. they were wonderful memories for them. And 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 you know, same thing when caregivers and families go to visit their person, the person with dementia may not remember that they had ice cream together or they had popsicles or they laughed about jelly beans, but the rest of the people do, and we all deserve wonderful memories. Yep, yep, we sure do, and there's lots to be had. Um, if we just take the time to make them, um, or notice them when they exist. A lot of times I think, yes. I think we miss them. Which yes, is we much. must remember. And I, I always tell families, you know, well, you know, one day at a time, mm-hmm. just one day at a time. I, I went to see, uh, um, still Alice and I've been watching your clip about your, your movie, our, our neighbor Phil or my neighbor Phil, his neighbor, and Phil. <laughs> his neighbor Phil. And it looks just wonderful. And then we'll talk some more about that. But, but, you know, that's always a mixed blessing for me because, because part of me is, it reminds me of memories of my mother and I'm sure you too. And, and, and the other part is a fear that, 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 that may be my future. Mm-hmm. It's my past and maybe my future. So, 
So the answer to that is, I is, is there's lots of us, Lori, that have our background. Is is, but I only got today like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. You got to live in the moment and um, yep. not not get drowned out by possibilities of what ifs, because uh, none of us know what the what ifs in our life are are going to be, and we can't we can't control them. You know, we that's can, right. We can do the best we can. Um, what is the best way for people to get your book, Celia? Okay, so so um, the best way to get it is to go to Amazon mm-hmm. and put in my name, Celia Cadell. Mm-hmm. Then it'll come up. You know, my book, um, um, and it also comes on an ebook. If people have more time to read that on their Kindle on the train or whatever, that's that's an option. And, uh, yeah, it's on an iBook, too, my, my hubby says here. Uh, my website is ALZ, A-L-Z, caregivers.net. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you, can, you can look there also. And if you uh, – same thing, you can – you know, if people want to uh, email me or, or contact me through my website, they can – and, uh, you know, as I say, I do do some speaking things, you know, for churches or anybody else. I, I, my, my whole passion is all about helping other people through this journey. If somebody can learn from my experiences to make their journey easier, that's what it's about. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being with us. It was just a, a very fun uh, conversation. And again, the name of the book, you can Google too, is The Little Book for Alzheimer's Caregivers. The Little Book for Alzheimer's Caregivers. And um, it's just a it's a really easy reference, easy to read um, book. And um, again, I just opened up a page now as I'm going through it and it just slapped me in the face that we need to talk about this just for a couple of minutes here. Um, but you you have a um, a real short section, a section in here about sibling battles, which I think is really common. I hear about that all the time. How do I fix my siblings? What would you say to someone who, who you know, wants to fix their siblings? Yes, because, you know, caregivers have enough stress, I think, by themselves. If you're the child that's taking care of mom, you know, you have a lot on your plate. And then, you know, siblings may come and say, but I think you need to put her in a rest home, or I think you need to give her more drugs, or I think she needs to come live with me, or, you know, there's lots of stress to doing that and lots of decisions. And and if you are the person that are in charge of making those uh, durable power of attorney decisions and you are control – doesn't mean that your siblings like it. Mm-hmm. So they can have lots of opinions about what you do. And and I guess, and I used to do this at the Alzheimer's Association. We just have a family meeting mm-hmm. and have everybody come together and talk about the pros and cons and about the disease and sometimes having a third party involved, you know, uh, somebody, somebody from a, a church that knows something about Alzheimer's, a, a friend that maybe is a nurse, somebody from um, a, a, a facility facility, you know, different places have counselors that will give you some um, advice about, about the disease and the progression, you know, just because she's happy and not very forgetful now doesn't mean that she won't eventually be. So I think educate, educate, the more the family knows about the disease and the stages and the symptoms that they could experience, you know, sometimes they fall and once they fall, uh, I remember being dumbfounded that, you know, how come they can't walk? 
Mm-hmm. How can you forget to walk? Well, you can, and they do. Mm-hmm. Just part of the disease. But if everybody, all the family does, the siblings don't all know that can happen, they might think, well, it doesn't matter where they live. They can live in the country because they can still walk. Well, maybe they can today. But educate, educate, be, be informed, you know, do it in a loving, caring way that we need to talk about mom's care, you know, what might happen, how we can take care of this. We need, and, and the other huge thing is whoever's in charge and the one that, the family member that's doing the most caregiving, it, it's a godsend. If one of the other siblings will come and, and, you know, 24 hours, the main caregiver gets off. Mm-hmm. She can go pay her bills. She can go see her grandchildren. She can have a vacation because then the other siblings appreciate what she's doing if that's an option. Yep, definitely. Well, again, thank you so much for your, your time and your energy and your work today. It's, uh, it's fabulous. And again, the book is called The Little Book for Alzheimer's Caregiving, or Caregivers. And thank you again so very much, Lori, for giving me the opportunity. And and we all appreciate all the wonderful work you're doing for Alzheimer's families. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, For our listeners, if you haven't, um, if you're not really familiar with Alive and Social, you might want to check out some of the other shows on the network there. One of them is called What's for Dinner Tonight with Rachel Perrin, who is a culinary director for Kowalski's Market. And um, she just does a 10 to 15 minute episode, which is perfect when you're busy and you're trying to figure out what the heck's for dinner. You can also go to Kowalskis.com for um, easy and delicious uh, menu suggestions. And that's K-O-W-A-L-S-K-I-S.com, K-O-W-A-L-S. KIS.com. And don't forget about our dementia friendly conference in cruise coming up November 11th through the 18th. We're going to be uh, cruising around the Caribbean and we will have four people um, on staff that'll be uh, part of our educational program living with a diagnosis of dementia Harry Urban, Michael Ellenbogen, Lori Shear, and Mary Reed. Um, and then as professionals, there'll be myself, uh, Cindy Lazinski who is part of the Dementia Friendly of Northern Colorado, and uh, Kathy Schof, who is our travel agent, and um, she's also an RN, and then Becky Watson, who is a uh, board-certified music therapist, will be with us. If you would like to sponsor or donate to help others with dementia who can't afford to come, um, please reach out to me at Lori at Alzheimer's Speaks or give me a jingle at 651-748-4714. Our shows here on Alive and Social are all archived. And so you can go back for the last like six years that we've been doing the shows. And again, we, we interview people all over the world. So you'll get a real wide variety of, um, of information. Don't forget about our blog and our dementia chats uh, videos that we do. I'll be putting one out um, that talks about the cruise here uh, yet this week. And um, we have lots of other ones coming up that I need to post as well. But they're wonderful conversation. Again, the dementia chats experts all are living with dementia and just gave us some great, great insights. Until next time, have a blessed week. Bye now. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody, Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. 
Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.